0: Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit LCEF.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at LutherClassical.org. On this Tuesday, June 6th, we are studying Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. In today's text, a great sign appears in heaven, a woman who gives birth to a male child and a dragon whose aim is to devour this son. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word to date, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Jeffrey Reese. Pastor Reese serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. Pastor Reese, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: Thanks for having me. Good to be back. So we get
0: started today. Pastor, talk to us a little bit about the book of Revelation in general. What... How should we be approaching it as Christians? Why is it a useful and helpful book to us?
1: Well, it's a useful and helpful book because it, well, obviously it was a a uh, letter that John wrote to seven churches in Asia Minor, and because it was written to churches who were struggling under the weight of persecution and world oppression, it's still applicable to us today. Um, So it's very helpful in that way. In order to read it properly, uh, and if you've been following this series, I haven't obviously had the chance to listen in on the other, you know, previous sessions, but uh, if you follow the series, I'm sure that you're hearing this a lot. If you really want to understand Revelation and what's often called the code within Revelation, you have to really have a good grasp of Scripture. And in fact, any good Bible study of Revelation is going to unpack a lot of other scripture along the way.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we have been hearing that a lot. A lot of guests have said, you know, in order to read the last book, you have to read the first 65 and you yeah. have to know them well. So right. once again, that's the approach we're going to take to chapter 12. Now chapter 12 comes at a bit of a transition within the book of Revelation, the end of chapter 11 was the last of the seven trumpets. And now we're going to hear about a sign that appears in heaven. So where are we in the book? What do we know about the surrounding context that'll help us get started in chapter 12 today?
1: Well, John thus far has had two of the three main visions uh, given to him. And sometimes this is called an interlude or a pause, but it's really not so much a pause, because what you're seeing here, what, what John has been shown is a a heavenly vision of what's been going on on the earth throughout you know the history of god's narrative and 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 you know you so you've seen the um uh the uh the lamb opening the seven seals and the the horsemen and uh, you know all the other things that came along and and uh and then there is going to be another vision after this. So you have the, the two first visions. And one of the things important to understand about Revelation is that it's not linear, it's cyclical. So we're seeing, we're seeing the same events being depicted through different imagery over and over again. And 12, 13, and 14 are no exception. You're, you're actually seeing a, a, a depiction of what's been going on. All these events are happening at the same time. Uh, all all these different visions are actually occurring at the same time. And so what we're getting here, what seems like kind of a pause in the action is actually John being shown uh, an overarching view of, of uh, uh, the what's the, what's the best way of putting this? Um, It's an exposition. It's an explanation to John of all the things he's seeing happening on the earth, all the the, the visions he's seen so far, um, that depict all the events happening on the earth, um, he's he's seeing sort of the cosmic cause of all of it. Uh, this is the prelude to the battle between Michael and the art and the angels and the dragon and his angels, um, is, is what we're seeing here. Or in in not, I don't even know if I want to call it a prelude because, again. What we see uh, happening here—it's—it's not—it's not impossible to think that uh, the battle is already going on. The battle that's going to come in verse seven and following is already going on now. Right. Um, it, it's difficult for our minds to conceive of these things because, again, we—we we think we tend to think linearly to begin with. And I would imagine even a a Hebrew reader back in the day of John would still be struggling to fathom these things uh, because right. there's so much going on at once. It looks like total chaos, but um, the the key to all of this for us is the fact that in uh, chapter five we we see the probably the strongest emphasis on the enthronement of the Lamb, mm. and the fact the Lamb is on his throne, and we may come back to that a few times. The fact that the lamb is on his throne means that everything is in his, within his authority. Uh, he is in control of all of this, and he is, he is already victorious.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, chapter 12 in the book of Revelation, I think is a, a very important chapter. It's one that I happen to be a little more familiar with than other parts of Revelation, because at least part of the chapter shows up when you celebrate St. Michael and all angels in the church here. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've preached on that a few times. So this is one of the, the areas of Revelation that I, I feel like I know a little bit better than other parts because I've heard it so often. And the more that I look at the chapter as a whole, it really does seem like more than an interlude, as you were saying. We right. called, like chapter 7, we called an interlude within the seals. And chapters 10 and 11 have the the feel of a sort of an interlude in the trumpets. But what mm-hmm. we're going to read in chapter twelve has a much more, a much grander feel to it, uh, a far more overarching feel to it. I, in a study that I did in uh, in Smithville where I served previously on the Book of Revelation, I, I tried to put together like a timeline. And chapter twelve, I really see as the whole of history that we're going to cover in just one short chapter. So, yeah, I think right. it's more than an interlude that we're getting here.
1: Yeah, and you and you, in fact, you see the entire work of salvation being accomplished, the entire work of Christ's salvation from incarnation to ascension happening in one verse in this yeah. section that we're looking at. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and it's, it, this is very cosmic compared to the—I mean, we kind of think of Revelation as all being cosmic, but even in comparison to what John has seen, the visions of what's happening on the earth with the, the seals and the lamb and uh, the angels and so forth— uh, now we're seeing something that's happening both above and on the earth Yeah, uh, in, yeah. The, in the chapters 12 through 14.
0: Yeah, yeah. so what we're going to start today is part of this cosmic view of history that the Lord reveals to St. John. So let's take a look at the text. This is Revelation 12, beginning at verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child." one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. That's our text for today. That is Revelation 12, verses 1 to 6. Pastor Reese, get us started there in verse 1. A great sign appears, and the first thing that John describes is this woman, I don't know if you have anything to say about the fact that this is a sign appearing in heaven before we start looking at the details
1: well that it that it's a sign um uh, john uses that word a lot and not just in revelation um that's the word he used to uh, uh to speak of the miracles jesus performed in his gospel um simeon is the the uh, greek noun uh this noun appears 7 times in revelation um it it's the the verb means to signify and and so the noun is a sign uh, uh, something's going on here and the the neat thing about about this one is it's not just a semion it's a mega semion hmm. it's a great sign um there is only two places in all of scripture i believe and at, le- at least that john uses great sign, mega semion And that is here in 12. And then in 15 verse 1, when uh, the uh, angels, um, the, the, the seven sensor angels that are introduced in, in 15 verse 1. And and in 15 verse 1, the seven sensor angels, they're all about pouring out the anger, the wrath of God. And 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 they're called a, a great sign, and yeah. now here, what's this sign? This great sign is the woman who gives birth to the child, and I hope we all know what that centers on. <laughs> right. hope, obviously, hopefully this is yeah. right. Yeah. So this is the great. So you have the you have the one great sign in 15 that that talks about uh, the wrath of God, but now you hear now what we're seeing here is the the work of God's mercy through this. This child born of this woman, uh, and so we see this this great sign of God's grace.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, and and thinking about the way that John uses the word sign in his gospel, and I think the fact that he attaches sign here and great sign to the work mm-hmm. of Christ is a, a helpful tool as we think about what those signs are about in his gospel. That there's there's more going out than more going on than Jesus did. Some really cool stuff. Right. But this is all meant to teach us this about is, his, his work as right. the Christ.
1: This is revealing something about him. This is where uh, uh, we're, we're be, you know—the the signs in John's Gospel were always Jesus revealing Himself in in one way or another as the Son of God, yeah. and and here we're seeing the same kind of thing happening. This this is this is God at work. This isn't just a, a laser light show um, that we are entertained by, but this is God actually working out uh the conquering of the evil of the dragon and his minions and the the salvation of his people the restoration of his creation mm. yeah i think another thing that
0: that when you're talking about there there's this great sign and another one coming in chapter 15 just as we think about the structure of revelation we've talked about this several times that the idea of cycles we're going to see the same thing over and over again it's not just repetition, though. There's a repetition with intensity and with new and mm-hmm. different emphases each time, so that mm-hmm. you know, even though you're hearing the same story, you're hearing it in different ways with new directions to look, and it's not getting boring by any means, if anything, right. it's getting more interesting.
1: You might almost consider it uh, more of a spiral. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a perfect circle where you're going round and round and you're coming back to the same place, uh, and in fact, John's gospel... You could look at in a spiral sense, you know, John's gospel is the one where you see Jesus visiting Jerusalem on three different Passovers, the final one being the one with the triumphal entry and his yeah. passion and betrayal and cross and so forth. Um, and so there's a spiral effect there every time he goes to Jerusalem. Uh, there's another curve in the spiral, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so here here you're having the same thing, but in, in a much more intense and I think elongated sense uh, in Revelation. So the
0: first part of the great sign that appears in heaven is this woman. Uh, so mm-hmm. talk to us about some of the details that are given about this woman and what that indicates about who she is, what she's doing. Start talking about right. let's talk about the woman.
1: Well, he's cl- uh, well, he talks about her being clothed about with the sun and the moon underneath her feet. Um, that tells that that tells us that he's seeing her in heaven. So again, this is a cosmic vision now, um, and and he's being very the, the image he's being given to you know makes that very definitive. Um, on our head is the crown of 12 stars. Well what do we think about when we think of 12? We think of the 12 tribes of Israel. We think of the 12 apostles. We think of, you know, in other words, we think of Israel and the church. Uh, and in another sense, also 12 can talk about all of God's people which we would identify ultimately as the church. Um, but the reason I say that is because we're, we'll get into this a little bit more later, but as much as we're talking about, we're, we're thinking a lot about Mary, the mother of God, um, we can't completely, we, there's, there's a reason we can also see Eve here yeah. um, as the mother of all creation. Um, and so, you know, but, but, but 12 is that number of the church. So the 12 stars in her crown. Uh, is important. Okay, so
0: um, we'll talk more about the the twelve stars. And I guess maybe is the stars. Does that fit in with the the heavenly bodies that we're talking about? Sun, moon, now stars as well. All those kind of go together. And then the twelve, signifying the this is the church that I mean, the church is involved
1: here. Sure, you, you've got sun, moon, and stars again to indicate this is a cosmic vision. This this is yeah. something an event taking place not just on the earth but above it. Um, so. So in a sense, you could almost argue that chapter 12 is where you're sort of seeing, well, you know how we talk about the church as the place where heaven and earth intersect, where God comes to meet his people. Um, and so there's a sense where in this chapter we see the heavenly activity and the earthly activity being depicted in Revelation intersecting. Okay, yeah. And and the fact that it's sun, moon,
0: stars, this this woman is very clearly on the divine side of things she's right. She's on, on God's side. So, okay. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's got the sun about her. The moon is under her feet. She's got the, the 12 stars and then she's pregnant. And that's the right. key detail about the, this woman.
1: Yeah. She's pregnant. And, uh, um, she's, she's carrying a child in her womb and she cries out loud as in birth pains. And as she strains in anguish to give birth, um, the interesting thing about the anguish in in her giving birth in this case is it is not the usual Greek word used to indicate the pains of childbirth. Um, Paul Paul uses uh, the word uh, um, uh, what is it? Odyno to refer to childbirth pains, both in Romans and Galatians. Um, and that would be the typical Greek word when you're talking about pains associated with childbirth. This, in this case, the verb being used is bazanizo, which is kind of fun to say. Um, but it's a but it's a horrible thing to receive. It's uh, torment, torture. It's to have pain inflicted upon you, suffering inflicted upon you. And uh, in particular, um, in parts of the Old Testament, in the Greek Old Testament, uh, the Septuagint, and in, and in parts of the New Testament as well, including Revelation, it refers to God's punishment of evildoers. Hmm. And so it's interesting that the pains of childbirth that she is experiencing are, are related to punishment, torment, torture. Hmm. Um, and so, again, identifying this woman as emblematic of all of God's people is is a remembrance of the fact that we are sinners. Mm. I also kind of enjoy this verse when I'm arguing with the Roman Catholic about the woman being Mary <laughs> specifically because because then I can kind of kind of op- unpack the whole immaculate conception idea with them and that doesn't usually go over very well but <laughs>
0: Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about about identifying this woman because you've you mm-hmm. have mentioned Mary in connection with this woman, and you've mentioned Eve, and we've also talked about Israel and the church. And I, mm-hmm. one of the things that I I really have grown to appreciate about this chapter particularly is that I think all of those identifications are valid in one way or another, and and seeing right. how John pictures it here just illuminates what those various accounts in the scriptures bring out. So, I mean, for example, with with Eve, if we, if we want to think about this woman as Eve, you know, she's pregnant, crying out in birth pains. You can think about the promise that's given in Genesis 3.15, and, exactly. and then what comes after in Genesis 3. And it's like John is seeing that. Um, if you right. think about Mary, I mean, you know, that one kind of falls pretty pretty well into line as well. I think mm-hmm. the one that, that maybe... I have the most, or that's always struck me as a little more unusual, is to think about this woman as Israel or the church, and mm-hmm. in what sense Israel or the church gives birth to this male son. So maybe talk talk about some of those various identifications and how this chapter helps sure. to illuminate that. Sure.
1: Well, again, this is where if we if we're looking at Revelation through the lens of the rest of Scripture, you know, we see, I mean, how often I didn't actually count it in this case, but how often. Is Israel depicted as Yahweh's wife or God's bride? Um, and in the prophets, and particularly in Hosea, you know, even when God's wife is faithless, God still invites her to return to Him and become once more His lawful wife. Um, the New Testament portrays the church as Christ's bride, uh, waiting for marriage. You know, we're waiting for the bridegroom, Christ, to come. To return and 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 uh, so we're the bride of the lamb in that sense and and that's in, in Revelation also talks talks that way. Um, Paul reminds the Corinthian Christians in Second uh, Corinthians eleven, I believe, that he had espoused them as a bride to Christ. Mm. Um, and of course, in Ephesians five, Paul uses that wonderful language that often shows up in in weddings about the relationship of Husband and wife being a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church, um, so that the woman signifying the church and Israel is very biblical. Um, all over the scriptures, we see that.
0: Yeah, well, and I think to to the way that I kind of think about the Israel then with the birth of of the Christ is that. Israel as a nation carries this promise with her, and and mm-hmm. she holds on to this promise. That is where her faith is founded, is in the promise of this coming Savior, which again goes back all the way to Genesis three fifteen, to the to the point then that you know every time you see in the Old Testament the birth of a child, this is a, a moment of of great hope. Is is mm-hmm. this the one? I mean, even in Genesis mm-hmm. chapter four, when Eve first conceives and gives birth to Cain. It seems from the text, though, that she may think that that is the one right. that they were She's, promised. Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, every every childbirth, and then and then on the greater the greater sense, the woman as representation of Israel and the church carrying this promise within her. Yeah. Um, and Israel throughout its history, even faithless Israel, the Lord still preserved this promise within them. They still carried it with them by the grace of God, and now in baptism we all carry it with us. And we can still look to the birth of a child. The reason why we, we hold childbirth so uh, sanctified is is because it is uh, a reflection of that. It's, it's hope in itself, of course, but then it's a reflection of that greater hope that we have. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, you
0: know, thinking about the birth of children, and in the Old Testament, a verse that we've got here in Revelation 12 gives a lot more meaning to why there are all those genealogies in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, well, what's, sure. what? why did they care about that? Because they right. cared about the birth of this coming child. Because
1: that promise was going through those genealogies, right? That promise was being carried from generation to generation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Personally. And then, of course, as, as you said, the, the agony that's involved, you think about the suffering of God's people mm-hmm. throughout the the Old Testament. And as you said, this is a reminder that that they are sinners, I I think you can tell me if you think otherwise but I think maybe we could tie that also to Genesis 3 where there's promised the the pain in childbearing. Oh
1: yeah, I hadn't gotten there yet but that was exactly <laughs> where I was going next was verse verse 16 I'll multiply your pain in childbearing. Uh so the the whole the, even though childbearing pain is not referred that way typically in the Greek um this use of this, and this is like I said, the only place in all of scripture where this particular verb is used to describe childbearing pain, it, it is pointing very directly to that that curse that Eve received.
0: Yeah. Okay. So so again, in and this is why I just love this chapter the more that I, I mm-hmm. read it and study it. Just in those first two verses with this woman who is described in the way she is, we're we're seeing A microcosm of the entire new testament or old testament especially and even into the new as you said so as we as we continue to think about this woman especially as we go forward in chapter 12 in the next show we're going to keep that thought in mind that this is not only eve and mary but but israel the church as a whole holding on to this promise of the savior in the midst of sin and agony and suffering so that this child would come into the world and, and bring about the promise that God has has promised. So anything more on, on the woman there before we move
1: on to the the dragon? We should probably move on. I have lots more about the woman, to be honest with you, but there's a lot uh, more <laughs> okay. to cover too. I mean, again, we could, we could spend days just on these six verses.
0: Okay, all right. So we've got about two minutes here before the break. So start sure. telling us about the dragon as we begin to meet him.
1: Yeah, another sign in heaven. Uh, so that word sign again. Uh, and this time not a, not as a nice um, a sign. Great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns upon his head, seven diadems. and uh, the number seven uh, is a, an important number in in revelation. It's a number for completeness. Um, and a lot of people want to attribute all all kinds of, of weird uh, political things to uh, the the dragon and they want to assign like different things to each of the heads or each of the horns or what have you, we really need to remember, even in Revelation, the simplest reading is the best. Hmm. And especially when you're thinking about the number seven being a number for completeness. So we're talking about complete evil, perfect evil, if you want to use the word perfect with evil. Um, The fact that he has seven heads means that he's got seven brains that he can use to think and conspire. Um, the fact that he has ten horns makes him very powerful. Um, you know, the seven diadems. Well, what is a diadem? A diadem is a symbol of authority. Um, he has over this fallen creation. You know, he has this this authority, this very dangerous, uh, deadly, and complete authority. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so that's what we're starting to see with this dragon. We're going to pick up more about him and the woman with child on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Jeffrey Reese this morning about Revelation 12. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, June 6th. We're studying Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 6 with Pastor Jeffrey Reese. He serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. Pastor Reese, prior to the break, we had begun to look at what John sees with this great red dragon. Seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on those seven heads. And you were talking about the the fact that seven heads, he's going to be very smart. And so Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent was more crafty. He was he was more clever than any other go. anything else that the Lord had made. And and you've got the the very powerful nature. So the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking mm-hmm. someone to devour. So we're seeing a picture of this. You mentioned the number seven mm-hmm. being a number of completeness. Some of the things that I've I've seen also suggest that the number seven in association with the devil would would be a reminder that. He's imitating God. He he tries to imitate God, but he makes right. a very poor that's,
1: substitute, of course. Yeah, that's a, an excellent point. That because normally we don't think, you know, we think oh seven. Because remember, the number six is more associated with well, the of course six 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 is the uh, the number of the beast, and that's coming up in the next chapter. Uh, the two the two beasts, but uh, yeah, but he 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 disguises himself as an angel of light, as one who represents the true God, and we of course all know that that's. False, um, and yeah, the fact that he is depicted as a dragon—that's uh, no coincidence. Right. Uh, with when you go back to the serpent that comes on the scene in Genesis three, and what we are seeing here in this situation, or in in chapter twelve, which uh, doesn't really come to light until the next section, until after verse seven, is is the when the 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 serpent makes his appearance in the garden is when he's when he's been cast down again. This war in heaven's been going on, and right. uh, you know we you know a lot of times the question will come up: Well, when was Satan defeated? Was he defeated um, at you know or when was when was Satan thrown down from heaven? Was he thrown down from heaven before he went into the garden and met Eve and Adam? or was he defeated at the cross. And the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> yeah. Because again that we've got to remember that this stuff is all operating outside of the bounds of the of the way we think of time, right? Right, right. Okay, so we've got this this great
0: dragon and just as a you know we've we've been calling him Satan all along, this is mm-hmm. made explicit in the next section in 12 verse 9 the ancient, the great dragon, the ancient serpent, is the devil mm-hmm. and Satan. So that's made very explicit for us as to who we're, who we're talking about here. Right. So he's a what about, I'm, I'm curious, because I'm not sure that I know, the fact that he's red, is there significant, significance to his color?
1: That's a good question. I don't know, but I, I do know that, that that's got a lot to do with why the devil, you know, in popular art and such, is right. always depicted with red skin and so forth. And the horns... Um, not you know a lot of times he just has two horns but um, and one head usually but uh, right 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 yeah I I'm not sure I'm, I don't
0: know I don't know either so I, I, and the yeah, last time I'm we not... saw red one of the horsemen or one of the horses was was red back in Revelation mm-hmm. chapter six but I'm not sure if we're supposed to associate those things or not in any case this is the devil the great red dragon seven heads ten horns seven diadems. In verse four, his tail sweeps down a third of the stars of heaven and casts them to the earth. What's happening there?
1: Well, it uh, it looks as though, um, or what? What? Uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. But uh, throwing them down to earth, the, the stars are representative of angels, and and we can see that through other parts of, of Revelation. You can go back to verse uh, chapter one, verse twenty um so a star falling from heaven in the scriptures is going to be a fallen angel and so we're talking about the the angels that the devil recruited that lucifer recruited to become his angels his demons as we call right. them right so
0: revelation 12 verse 4 would be the the spot then where when we talk about the fall of the devil and his his demons mm-hmm. And and normally, at least when when I've talked about it, sometime between the six days of creation and Genesis chapter 3,
1: that's what's being depicted there in Revelation 12, verse 4, I think. Right, yeah. And again, you know, and then you have Jesus telling the disciples, you know, when they come back having, you know, preached to, you know, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, you know, and so it seems like their preaching the gospel had something to do with it. And so uh, then it's like, well, is it preaching of the gospel that defeats the devil? Or was it this that, you know, it's and, going, and the answer is always going to be yes. Yeah. The the Lord is working all of these things in conjunction, in concert with one another. Uh, yeah. The narrative of God's salvation is like a tapestry, and God is just weaving all of these wonderful things together um, through, the, through the use of the lives of societies and people uh, mm. to accomplish our salvation.
0: Yeah. Now the the tail of this dragon sweeps down a third of the stars of heaven so a third of the angels is mm-hmm. there we've seen the number third show up a, a few times especially in the trumpets there was a, a third of things that were destroyed and such things and if i i recall the 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 a third of something indicates that it's a sizable portion but right. also not the majority either
1: it's a sizable minority is is a way of looking at it um it's, it, this is the only reference we have to this in all of the scriptures. And so um it, you know, we don't know if we can take the third as a literal number or as a symbolic number. The, the main thing is, is that it wasn't a majority, it was a sizable minority. Right. Um, and that these were uh, angels that Satan took with him in opposition to God. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and again, this is something, having preached on St. Michael and all angels, when, when we think about the work of the holy angels versus the work of the devil and his angels, from, from this, then we would say the devil and his demons are a sizable, powerful army, but those who are with us are more than those who are with
1: them. So that right. the, the yeah, holy used,
0: angels are far more
1: powerful and mm-hmm. numerous. We used to love the upper hand, we have more angels, and we also have Jesus.
0: Of course. That's right. Um, That's right.
1: But yeah, but it, it, but, but we also need to take the danger that Satan and his demons, uh, uh, what, what they have, what they have seriously. And that's something that oftentimes, even within the Christian church, Satan is, is sometimes even completely ignored um, as not something we need to worry about anymore. And that's uh, really frightening uh, Yeah, because he is active and, What was it? Wasn't it in the screw tape letters that uh, C.S. Lewis coined the idea that, and then it was repeated in a movie years later, um, the greatest trick the devil uh, devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: That's in the usual suspects, I think, right?
1: Yeah. The, you're right. Yeah. It was Kevin Spacey movie. I don't yeah. think I've actually seen the movie, but I remember the quote from it. Yeah, and I think I remember telling someone, well, I actually got that from the screw tape letters. But, uh, <laughs> that's good. So That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so I think that as
0: we think about this picture in verses three and four of this great red dragon and his, his demonic army, it is good mm-hmm. that we keep this picture in front of us. You you mentioned the the depiction of the devil as red in popular art, but usually mm-hmm. just kind of a cartoon character. No No big deal. Right, not, or John not Lovett so on Saturday alive. Live. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. This is, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a... So talk. just talk a little bit more about that. Why is that important that we would rightly understand the devil and his
1: power and his wrath against us? Well, when we see the devil interact with people in the scriptures, what is he always doing? He's always quoting God's Word. And he's always doing it out of context, and in ways that sound really good to us. Uh, he is the greatest exegete of Scripture apart from God Himself, hmm. and 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 yet he has chosen to use his scriptural exegesis for evil. And he, he, in that sense, he is very dangerous because it is through that power that he steals faith. Yeah. I mean, he can go and take all of Job's. Family and wealth, and all of that. Um, but the most dangerous thing he could have ever taken from Job, and the thing he was really trying to take from Job, and he did not succeed. Only by the grace of God is was his faith. That's
0: right. Yeah, yeah. I, I was. We were very recently here looking at the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, and I've always appreciated how Luther, in the explanation there, when he talks about the things that we are tempted toward, he starts with us being tempted toward false belief and then comes despair and then comes other great shame and vice the devil's ultimate aim is always to be to tempt us toward false belief first and foremost the other great shame and vice that's bad and we shouldn't we shouldn't certainly desire those things but it's false belief that the devil's out to get us to fall into right and and he does so he comes to us as a, a harmless looking snake when in reality he's this powerful dragon
1: yeah uh, he he is and and that's the, the what you said there, false belief, despair yeah you know false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. and I'm I was just thinking of of a mighty fortress as our God in the sure. last verse and and take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, though these all be gone our victory has been won, the kingdom ours remaineth. yeah so that's right. that's right. It's so, a great so- great hymn to talk about the dangers of the devil, but also the fact that that uh, Jesus is on his throne.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, as John's vision continues here, we have the great sign of the woman who is pregnant crying out in the birth pains. And now right. the dragon has appeared as well with his demonic army. And the dragon now is going to encounter the woman. So, the dragon, this is the end of verse four, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now, again, right. this is, as, as I look at this, this is just another marvelous short sentence that describes the entirety of the Old Testament, right
1: there. I know, isn't it amazing? <laughs> and then verse verse, verse, uh, verse 5 here, uh, you know, she gave birth to a son, a male, male child, who's going to shepherd all the nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. You see the entire narrative of Christ's incarnation, birth, uh, temptation, ministry, you know, passion, death, uh, resurrection ascension all bam verse five that's, that's it right. that's the entirety of the scriptures right there <laughs> so uh, or john, at least in the new <laughs> testament yeah.
0: john just gave us the whole bible right in 4, 4b <laughs> through verse 5. right okay.
1: and so the 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 satan, satan is waiting to the dragon is waiting for the woman to give birth so that he might devour her child well where where when do we see what what are the events happening when jesus begins his ministry he He's baptized, and then where does he immediately go? He goes out into the wilderness, just like the scapegoat <clears throat> having taken on the sins of the people, which is what, for Jesus, baptism was, was taking on our sins. Um, and who's waiting for him to devour him in the wilderness? But Satan. Yep. And Satan is seeking to devour him by stealing away with his faith, uh, yeah. by by twisting Scripture. Sure. And I think even,
0: I mean, even before you get to that very explicit battle between the devil and Jesus in the wilderness, going through the Old Testament, you see this happen. And of course, at the birth of Jesus, what does King Herod do? He, mm-hmm. he tries to kill <clears throat> Jesus
1: already. Yeah, you I mean, see so, these, these little microcosms of yeah. this greater reality that's unfolding. And so, yeah, Herod, Herod sneaking, seeking to devour the child, um, Egypt seeking to devour Israel. Uh, and uh, as they're being, as God is giving birth to them, or as the Red Sea is giving birth to them, yep. uh, right. however you want to put it, but right. I mean, it's it's not an mm-hmm. accident
0: that Pharaoh in Exodus chapter one tries to deal with Israel by killing the baby boys. I mean, right. it's just it's not an accident. This you talked mm-hmm. about the tapestry of God's work in history, and that's that's a part of it. And I really think I mean, so this is. Again, what I really appreciate about this this vision and this sign is that it, it shows us what's really going on in the Old Testament, that every time that genealogy, that line of Christ is in danger, that is an example of the devil mm-hmm. trying to devour the child. Why does he want Israel to fall so much? It, it's because he wants Jesus. That's what he's trying mm-hmm. to do. And I, I mean, it really just, it starts to open your eyes to the Old Testament and see the the spiritual battle that's happening there, mm-hmm. and it's not just this just sort of historical accident, but this is that age-old warfare between the dragon
1: and the woman with child. Mm-hmm. And 4 and 5 we're just seeing played out in many and various ways throughout the entire history of God's people. Um so and then the fact and and the and the comfort for us is in that last part of verse five. And her child was snatched up to God and to His throne. Mm-hmm. He, you know, the devil did not accomplish his goal of destroying the Son of God. In fact, in his attempt to devour the child, he actually God actually worked his a- attempted evil into our salvation mm-hmm. because the the devil orchestrated the sin that caused humanity to reject jesus and crucify him yeah and one of my favorite images in there's a couple of them but the one i'll talk about now in the the movie the passion of the christ from what's it been over 20 years ago now um is when the when the the crowd is jeering at jesus as he's carrying his cross up uh, satan is walking behind them in the background um you know satan is the author of that that rejection so he orchestrated his own destruction. In other yeah, words, yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, and again, that takes us back to Genesis three fifteen with the mm-hmm. promise of the Savior that yeah. yes, the the serpent was going to cru- or was going to strike the child on the
1: heel, mm-hmm. but the child would crush the crush devil's head. the head of the serpent, right? And yeah. and that's what we're seeing happen here. The child is victorious. The child uh, gets to be on his throne. And what does it mean to be on his throne? Well, where did do, what does it say all over Scripture? putting all of his enemies under his feet, which means total victory. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You, you, you said we, we would probably talk about revelation five, the lamb who was slain now being enthroned. And it seems that again, right there, there's the Ascension of Jesus right there, caught up to God into his throne.
1: Yeah. This is exactly what, what we're seeing happen here is, um, the child is born, you know, Christ is born of Mary. Um, the devil is waiting to to snatch her up but through that but 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 the child evades the devil throughout that whole process and Jesus is now ascended which we're going to celebrate or which we have celebrated yeah. uh that's right a few weeks ago as,
0: yeah that's right that's right what about we we kind of skipped over and there's some language there that we've seen in the book of revelation before the the male child is described as one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron what is what is that telling us about Jesus
1: that is a hearkening back to. Um, oh, I had it. It's a harkening back to um, a messianic psalm, and I think for it's some from, reason, from Psalm two, I think. Is yeah, the one that's, that talks it's about, Psalm two. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I had it, and I had it, and I don't know where that note went, and I have a terrible memory, but but it's a harkening back. That it is a it is a messianic sign, the 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 fact that he will. Uh, rule with an iron rod, is an ex- is an expression or a sign that he is in fact the Messiah, the promised one. Right. Okay. So, so the Lord now, the woman
0: has given birth to the male child. He has been caught up to God and to His throne. So the Lord protected His promised Savior from the devil's attacks. And as you said, the devil's attacks actually ended up bringing about the devil's defeat. The Lord used that for His purposes. And then in verse 6, we come back more specifically to the woman. So the the woman now, who's already given birth, she flees into the wilderness. There she has a place prepared by God, and there she's going to be nourished for 1,260 days. So tell us more about what happens to the woman after the devil's failed attempt to devour the male child, and now the child being taken up to God and to his throne.
1: Well the uh the only um other place that we see to my knowledge the twelve hundred and sixty days is back in chapter eleven with the two um the two prophets who are uh, witnessing for twelve hundred and sixty days. Right. Um, and which is three and a half years, which I think is also right. forty forty
0: two months if I if I remember right. right. And We've seen those numbers, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you can you can again connect this with all things. Excuse me, connect this with all kinds of things you're seeing in scripture. So you can see what is the first thing after the wise men depart, uh, the the magi depart, seeing Jesus uh, and his family. What's the first thing Joseph does? They flee away, you know, from Herod. So, uh, in a, in a sense, they they leave they leave the safety of their own nation and they they go. Uh, into a wilderness of sorts in Egypt yeah um the well, other even, the other oh go ahead
0: well i was just say just thinking about other places like that you you know we, we've talked about the exodus already after the Lord brings his people out right does he take
1: them into the wilderness where he nourishes them mm-hmm yeah, and and so we we have—the the wilderness is what happens after the salvation has occurred. And so you see the wilderness happens after Israel is delivered out of bondage to Egypt. Um, you know, we, we've had in verse 5 the entire uh, ministry, passion, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ compressed into the words, really, snatched up to God. And now that that has been accomplished, that Christ is safe, he's on his throne— um, the the dragon has failed at that, and so because the dragon has failed to destroy Christ, the to destroy the child, uh, the victory over him is complete, and therefore we no longer have anything to fear. Hmm. Um, the the right now we are in a wilderness of sorts, and we have been since all that happened. What happened to? What happened to 11 of the 12 apostles? They were, you know, they were executed for, on account of their faith in Christ. What happened to the 12th apostle? He died in exile. Um, and, and what had been happening for, to Christianity universally for the first few centuries of its life was nothing but misery, you know, and you can kind of identify with the way that the people of Israel were crying out against God at various times. I imagine there was a lot of crying out against God of Christians living under the thumb of the Roman emperor. Um, And now today, um, how often do we as pastors, or I'm also a police chaplain, Hmm. I have lost count of how many times I have sat with someone who is crying out to God uh, because of some horrible tragedy that has befallen them or someone that they love. And so we are we are in this wilderness that uh, the uh, woman escaped into, yeah. um, And this twelve hundred and sixty days is one way of of looking at it. Just to say, this is the time of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what your pre-millennialists will often talk about as the tri- the tribulation, where you know we are in the tribulation. If you know if there is a tribulation, this is it. Uh, we're you know we're a you know the, we probably talked about the whole a millennial thing already sure. but right um and this, up we are in the midst of yeah. that mm-hmm. yeah. but we do not grieve as others do who have no hope as paul says in first thessalonians right. because christ is on his throne and that's why that that vision from uh chapter five is so important and and it's so important to connect here uh he was snatched up to God. He is safe in heaven, and because he is safe in heaven, and because we are in him, uh, we are also safe, no matter what it appears. And Satan will try to use the tragedies of this life to to make us believe that God has forsaken us. But because Christ is on his throne, we have certainty that God has not forsaken us, that we are his, and that he's coming back. Yeah,
0: well, and I think the language that this wilderness is the place where God has prepared for this woman to be is very significant in that regard then. Because right. on the one hand, yeah, it's, it's a wilderness. And we've seen mm-hmm. how in, in Revelation 11 with the two witnesses and the measuring of the temple, you've got the outer court and they're trampling the holy city of God. A- and yet we live in that place that is prepared for us by God. And, and there, I think, again, we come back to Jesus' ascension mm-hmm. and the promises that he makes in John 14, that where he is, there we will be also. If if he, right. why would he tell us he's going to prepare a place if he wasn't going to do that? <laughs> that's
1: why this is the this is that's why we talk about this wilderness time as the time of the church because this is precisely why Christ established the church. This is precisely why he said, "Go forth uh, and baptize," you know, "baptize and teach." This is precisely why he said, "This is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me." This yeah. is all he, him preparing us to to live in this wilderness, by His grace, while we wait for Him to come back for us. Yeah, yeah. And and is as we live in that wilderness, it is a life
0: of faith, you know, because it doesn't—the right. wilderness isn't going to be—I mean, you look around the wilderness, where am I going to get food? Where am I going to get water? And again, I think back to Israel's experience in the wilderness before they go to Sinai. Where do they get food and water? Well, the Lord provides. As He mm-hmm. directs them on that journey, in places that don't look like there's going to be any water, He gives them water— And the same is true for us in this wilderness, that the Lord provides. He nourishes us, even when it doesn't look like it. And that's where, again, Jesus' ascension, I think, is so important. Uh, Dr. Lessing, when he introduced this series for us, we talked about Colossians 3, where Paul says that your life is hidden with God in Christ. And and Mm -hmm. that, I mean, is such a, a powerful thing here in chapter 12. Christ has been caught up to God in his throne, we're in the wilderness, but... Our lives are hidden with God in Christ,
1: so that where he is, there we are too. Right. And the other the other aspect of this, especially when you look at the wilderness wanderings in Exodus, is they were provided for, but they were not provided for in any any sort of way that allowed them to be able to rely on this fallen world for their yeah. sustenance. They had only as much as God gave them to, you know, So so when we feel we're lacking in something here... Um, the Lord may well be using that to teach us, to chasten us, to to cause us to rely on Him, whether we're lacking in health, whether we're lacking in provision, whether we're lacking in wealth, or what have you. Um, The Lord will use that to cause us to rely on Him, trust in Him for all things, and not in anything of this world. We have about
0: a minute left here, Pastor Reese, as we wrap things up on this part of Revelation 12. Help us to see the joy and the comfort that's ours in this text.
1: Well, John's whole purpose is emphasis on the final outcome of w- what does it mean that Christ is incarnate, and that he suffered his passion and death, and that he's resurrected. It means that this dragon is, is uh, failed. This means that he's defeated. Um, Christ is completely victorious over all of the enemies of God's people. All of our enemies have already been vanquished. And so we have nothing to fear.
0: Pastor Pastor Jeffrey Reese is pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. He has been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. Pastor Reese, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. It's great to be here. The devil tried to devour the child, but the devil failed. Through his working, the Lord was in charge. The Lord brought about Satan's destruction through the death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. By that work, he continues to protect us and sustain us in this wilderness as we wait for his glorious return and for him to take us to our eternal home. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about this section of Revelation chapter 12, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.